Radha Krishna go Gopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai Tura Dhamma Ki Jai Navadri Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Ganga Maya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanam All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees all glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale. Sri Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nityanamane. Namaste Saraswati Deve. Gauravani Pachana Nivasesis and Nivani Bhaskajadesh Tami. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Padakamalam Sri Guru and Vaishnavascha. Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Vitam Samasajivam. Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lamita Shri Vitakamstra Panchakalpa Trikas Tatikas and the Viva Chapati Tanam Pavanavya Lashmi Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavatam, Canto 8, Chapter 17, The Lord Agrees to Become Aditi's Son, Text 24. Aditya Jistitam Garbam, Bhagavantam Sanatanam, Bhagavatam Sanatana, 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 Bhagavatam S
When Lord Brahma understood that the Supreme Personality of Godhead was now within the womb of Aditi, he began to offer prayers to the Lord by reciting transcendental names. Purport. The Supreme Personality of Godhead exists everywhere, andantrasta paramanu jayantrastam. Therefore, one chants his transcendental names, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare the Supreme Personality of Godhead is automatically pleased by such Sankirtana. It is not that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is absent. He is present there. And when a devotee utters the transcendental name, it is not a material sound. Therefore, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is naturally pleased. A devotee knows that the Lord is present everywhere and that one can please him simply by chanting his holy name. Aditya Jistitam Garbam Bhagavantam Sanatanam so here Lord Brahma knows where the Lord is. He knows. Vignaya to know. And he knows where is he is. Stitam means a place. He knows what place he's in. He's in Aditya Garva. He's in the womb of Aditi. And he also knows that this is the eternal Lord, Bhagavan Sanatana. And so he says, Guyam Nama the hidden, the secret, the transcendental <coughs> names of the Lord, to please the Lord. So you could say that this verse is giving us, this verse in purport, the essence of what is bhakti yoga. Because it is the opposite of the essence of maya. The essence of maya is we don't know, we're in ignorance, and we're trying to please ourselves instead of the Lord. That is the essence of illusion. And we're going through our lives not knowing basically anything. We don't know what is our future. Anybody know what is their future? <laughs> right? You can go to some big astrologer and they may be wrong. Even. You've had this experience? Uh, we don't know anything. We don't even know uh, really whether we are perceiving reality or not. Philosophers debate, are we really perceiving reality? And how do we know? We have a dream and it seems very real. And we wake up and it's not real. And the only reason we say that what we're perceiving now is real is because everyone agrees that we are perceiving it. Because I say, oh, this is kind of an orange-red cushion and you will all agree. Therefore, we say it's real. But maybe we are in some group dream. <laughs> uh, that is very possible. Just like people play computer games where they're in like a group dream, yes? Everyone is a character in the game, and everyone is saying, yes, this is happening. But it's not really happening, is it? Is it really happening? No. It's just some ones and zeros, and just some electricity. Or people go to see a movie, they go to the cinema, 
and everyone is saying, yes, the person jumped from the building and the helicopter came and the city blew up and the monster came. But did it really happen just because it was a shared experience? Uh, no. Uh, so we don't really know anything. We don't know if we're experiencing reality or not. We don't even know who we are. Right? We're born, we don't know. Someone says to us, this is your name. Okay, that's my name. That's who I am. This is your family. But we don't really know. What do we know? We really know, practically speaking, nothing. Now, the scientists don't know what gravity is. Did you know that? They don't know what it is. They have no idea what it is. And they have no idea why it works the way it works. We don't know what electricity is. We use it, but we don't know what it is. Now, practically speaking, we don't know anything. But here we are in this ignorance... And we are thinking, well, let me just try to be happy here. This is very nicely explained earlier in the Bhagavatam, in the story of King Paranjana. The allegory that Narada tells, that Paranjana just finds himself in the city of nine gates. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he's doing there. And he just thinks, oh, well, let me, have, let me give some pleasure to myself. Let me find some pleasure for myself. Uh, but if we're a little honest, we would have to admit that this working in ignorance to try to find pleasure for ourselves doesn't work very well. Does it work very well? No, it doesn't work very well. First of all, there's uh, birth, death, old age, and disease. And they can come at any time. Right? Disease can come at any time. Death can come at any time. And that means that Dukkalaya Mishasvatam, we're constantly in anxiety. Isn't it, right? The body's very fragile. You just slip on the stairs or something, you know. Any little thing, some mosquito bites you, you can get some disease. So constant anxiety. And then even our pleasures, while we're enjoying them, are not very satisfying. You cannot say, I eat a pizza, I feel completely satisfied. All of my senses are now unlimitedly satisfied. So a little intelligent person will say, this acting in ignorance, to please myself, it doesn't bring much satisfaction. And then we think, well, let me try to please others. Let me try to please my family, my nation, and so forth. And, and still that's not satisfying. You work hard to please your family, and your family doesn't even notice. You've had this experience? Yeah. Eh? You work hard to please your country. Does your country notice? You're dedicated to your country. Does that mean they're going to pay attention to you? Even the people who fight in the military, sometimes the country doesn't take proper care of them. Yes. You work hard for your job. Does that give you all satisfaction? Does your boss at work notice what you do? I have uh, one of my sons just recently had a job where he had, you know, to work eight hours, but he could finish his work after four hours. So he decided, well, let me try to help the company. So he was doing things to make the company more profitable. And they said, no, no, don't do that. You just do your job. And he said, but I'm finishing my job. You know, at, at one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm finished with my job. But just sit there. Maybe somebody will want to. So they had no, you know, even though he was increasing the profit of the business, they didn't appreciate. So we have this experience. You work for your family, you work for your job, you work for your country, and still you don't feel satisfied. You don't feel satisfied. So this is because the essence is wrong. And here Lord Brahma knows what is the essence. He knows. He knows the essence is to find God and please Him. And once you find God, then you find everything. Once you find God, then you also know who you are. You also know what the world is. You know everything. You don't know everything in the sense it doesn't mean you know how to fix a car. 
doesn't mean you know everything like that. You don't know how to fly a plane. It's not that if you're a self-realized soul, an enlightened soul, all of a sudden you can, you know, go into an airplane and fly it. We don't mean you know everything like that. But we mean you, you know what is everything. Immediately, as soon as you find God. And Krishna explains this, that knowing Krishna is like the sun that lights up everything in the daytime. Or Prabhupada talks about a nectar devotion. It's like one switch that turns on all the lights. So as soon as you put God back in the center, as soon as you come to know God, then immediately you understand everything. And you know that the essence of life is not to please yourself directly, but to please God. And once you please God, then you're also actually pleased. What we try to do by pleasing our family, by pleasing our society, by pleasing our, our employer, we find by pleasing God. And then pleasing God is very simple. You just say his name and he's happy. First of all, it's easy to find him because he's everywhere. I hear saying he's in Aditi's womb, Aditi Dishtitam Garbam, the word Stita, where he's staying, and Prabhupada's quoting from the purport, Andantarasta Paramanujayantarastan. We have again sta and stun, place, just like we call this Hindustan, right? There's Kazakhstan. Sta means to place, to stay. Right? And even in English, it's with the word state. This word to unstable, to stay somewhere. So this Krishna is everywhere. So he's in the he's Padamanu, he's inside the atom. That means he's everywhere. So it's easy to find him and it's easy to please him. You just say his name. Just like we are also pleased when someone says our name. They say the sweetest sound to anyone is the sound of their own name. That's why we have all these signs up in the back of the temple with people's name. Just the name is there. I mean it says they gave five lakhs or 1.2 lakh or something like that. But it doesn't really say anything about them. I mean, we don't know what they like to eat. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't know anything except they gave some money and, and their name. And people are pleased. Just that their name is there. They're very pleased. So Krishna is also like that. You just say Krishna. Oh. And he becomes happy. It's very, very simple. So really this process of enlightenment we are teaching as Bhakti Yoga is very simple. Put God back at the center, realize he's everywhere, and say his name. And then one becomes happy. So why is it that doing that simple thing changes us from misery to happiness? When we act in, in ignorance, I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm doing here, I don't even know if everything's real and I'm trying to please myself. The reason that causes me suffering and anxiety, the reason it doesn't give me unlimited happiness, is quite simple, because it's false. A false thing cannot give you happiness. Is that, it's very, very simple logic. Just like uh, nowadays they make false food. Yes, they do this in India also, fake food. Like you buy some juice at the shop and it's not real juice, it, there's no fruits in it. Artificial fruit juice. Water, maybe real sugar, maybe it's not even real sugar. Maybe it's some saccharin or whatever they call it, aspartame. Some, you know, fake sugar and some chemical flavor someone has just made in a laboratory. It's not real food. It looks a little bit like real food, tastes a little bit like real food, but it's not real food. And therefore, it can't give you actual happiness. It's, it's very logical. 
Does it give you health, eating this sort of food? Does it make you healthy? Does it give you strength? It may appear to give you some energy for a little while because it has some sugar. Yeah, but if you keep taking it, then you'll get diabetes from so much sugar. Or, you know, caffeine. Caffeine appears to give you energy. Someone takes something with caffeine. But it's not real. It's false. And so after this burst of energy, what they crash. And they become exhausted. And then they have to take more caffeine. And more caffeine. Pretty, after a while, the body becomes exhausted. Right? So something false cannot give you actual happiness. It just, it just can't. You know, or people who try to become happy with alcohol or drugs or something like that. Does that make them really happy? No. After, after a very short time, they become miserable. They become much more miserable than they ever felt some artificial happiness in the beginning. Anything artificial is not, it cannot give happiness. Anything false and artificial, it cannot make you happy. It's impossible, just logically speaking. Just like it is, it is false that I can eat this couplet. That's a false thing. My body is not designed to eat metal. Not like this, anyway. And my body is designed to eat some iron and things like that, and copper, but not in this form. And so if I try to eat this, it will make me miserable. Right? Or if I try to walk through the wall instead of the door, I will become unhappy. Because it's not true. A wall is not a passageway. That's not what it is. As soon as you do anything that is not true, then you will suffer. Does this make sense to everyone? It's, it's very, very simple. So when I'm in ignorance, when I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm doing here, I don't even know if the things I'm perceiving are really there, and I don't know if they're really there what they actually are. I really don't know. Then how can I choose what is true and what is false? Maybe sometimes accidentally I will do something that is true and feel so happy, but it's just... It, it, it's just sort of chance almost. And as soon as I can understand what is true, as soon as I can understand who am I, what is the real nature of things, what is the real center, then immediately I can become happy. It's a very, very simple concept. So the truth is that God is everywhere. That is the truth. And that everything is Krishna's energy, including me. And as soon as I reconnect with him through his energy, then immediately I come to my original state of happiness. Now you might also ask the question, well, why would truth bring happiness at all? Maybe falsity brings unhappiness, and truth also brings unhappiness. Maybe the ultimate truth is also unhappiness. And there are many... Uh, there's been a lot of, how would we say, propaganda like this. This is Buddhist propaganda. And Buddhist propaganda has been making its way into the general culture and the media. That yes, the illusion is unhappy, but there's no real truth either. The real truth is just a void. No, or atheists who think that God is, is just nasty. You know, God is just making everybody suffer. Ah, everybody suffer. So why can we conclude that the truth will make us happy? So this is also, again, very logical. All of us want to be happy, yes? Anybody want to suffer? Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody, even the little ants want to be happy. Even the flowers, they, they want to go in the sun and be happy. The basic pleasure principle. All of us try to find pleasure and avoid pain. 
Everyone. And all of us wants unlimited happiness. We want happiness that's unlimited in quantity and happiness that's unlimited in quality. And this is the advertisers, they tie into this desire. You, know, you just buy this toothpaste and you will get unlimited happiness. They, if you notice the advertisements, they're like that. You're boundless. So why do we all want this? Where does this desire come from? If this false world is all there is, this illusory world is all there is, false in the sense that it's not what it appears to be. And if the truth was also simply miserable, where would this desire for happiness come from? Why, why would it exist? Just like all of us here have a desire for water. You know, some creatures who live in the desert, they have no desire for water. Did you know that? There are some creatures who live in the desert. Their bodies are not, they don't need to drink water. I mean, they could, but they're not, they don't need it. They get their water from eating plants and things like that. So they have no desire for drinking water. But we do. Right? Or the fish, they don't desire to drink water. But we do. Why do we? Because that's our natural habitat. That's indicative of our natural habitat. So the fact that we all desire unlimited happiness is indicative that that is the reality. And the fact that we cannot get it in illusion is indicative that what we're trying to do is illusion. So here when one knows where is God, then one knows that what one should do to become happy is to please Him. And Lord Brahma is also feeling great happiness by pleasing Him. And pleasing the Lord, as we said, is very, very simple. It doesn't require anything complicated. You know, if you want to try to do other methods of enlightenment, it's very complicated. You want to do jhana yoga, you can't be here in Chennai. It doesn't work. You have to go to the Himalayas, no, you can't have any family. You have to be strict brahmacharya, sannyasi. You just eat the fruits and roots that you find. I mean, that may sound very romantic, but, you know, try doing it for a few days even. It's not. You find immediately it's not so romantic. Try, you know, five days. Just living outside and eating whatever fruits and roots you find. After a while, you'll be running to the temple, you know, where's my dosa? <laughs> so it, you have to do that, and then you have to completely control your mind. Fix your mind, just, you know, your eyes on the tip of your nose. And just Vishnu in the heart with no distractions. Very complicated. And we talk about the yogis, they may meditate for 60,000 years, 100,000 years. And even then, you know, like this Vishwamitra just hears some jewelry and he becomes distracted. Or the jnani yogis just, you know, neti neti. The world is an illusion, the world is an illusion. I am soul, I am soul, I am soul. The world is an illusion, I am soul. The world is an illusion. <laughs> And they come to Brahman realization. That's also very difficult. How long can you just study philosophy? And then karma yoga, working without desiring the fruit. That is also very different. Naturally, if we work, we want to enjoy the fruit. You know, so your karma yoga, you're working, but you're just saying, I'm just doing this for my purification. I'm just doing this for my purification. It doesn't matter if I get success or failure just for my purification. That's also very difficult. But bhakti yoga is very easy. It's very easy. I'm a person, Krishna's a person, and I'm doing this to please that person. 
I say Krishna's name just to please Krishna. I take prasadam to please Krishna. I clean my room to please Krishna. I clean my clothes to please Krishna. I earn money to please Krishna. I am nice to other living entities to please Krishna. It is so simple. And it immediately, unless one is very offensive, it immediately brings one to anandam buddhipardhanam. And this desire to please Krishna, which Prabhupada talks about in the purport, this is the, it's really the essence of bhakti yoga. was talking the other day about the definition of bhakti. And he was focusing mostly on the first two lines, keeping bhakti unmixed. The negative, what bhakti is not. But what is bhakti? Anukulena Krishna Nushilana. Activities that make Krishna happy. So that, that is our whole process to come back in line with the truth. You don't have to be a big scholar, you don't have to go to the Himalayas. Just simply saying Krishna's name and he's present there. But it should be done with the desire to please Krishna, with the intent to please Krishna, and with some conviction, with some faith that Krishna is there. Just like Brahma has some faith that Krishna is there in a deity's womb. I mean, normally we cannot see who's in the, a woman's womb, right? You just, you see the woman and says, you can tell she's pregnant, but you don't know who's in the womb. But Brahma understands there's Krishna in the womb. So with faith that Krishna is everywhere, that Krishna is in every atom. One other just little point I thought was very interesting here was the way that the Lord is purifying Aditi. Because you remember Aditi has these, she has these mixed desires. She wants to worship the Lord with her sons, but she's also interested in bringing pain to her enemies, which is not very nice. And Krishna is so kind, even those who worship him with mixed bhakti, he reciprocates, and he's purifying her by entering into her body and becoming her son. So this is kind. So just imagine if we worship Krishna with unmixed bhakti. If Krishna is doing this for somebody with mixed bhakti, if, and it's, not, it's really not nice, what she's asking for is not very nice. And if Krishna is reciprocating like this for someone who's having this desire, entering into their body and becoming their child in a very intimate relationship, what will he not do for those who approach him with unmixed mantra? So this, of course, is the example given when Ganada uh, Pandit went to see Pundarik Vijaniti and Mukunda chanted this verse that Krishna has saved the witch Putana who came to kill him just because she dressed like a mother and acted externally like a mother. For that, he gave her the position of a mother. Then what will he do for those who are really the mothers? For those who are pretending. So even if you pretend to be a devotee, just imagine. Just put on some tilak and some Just pretend to be a devotee. Like that's what Putin did. What to speak of your real devotee. And even if you say Krishna's names neglectfully to indicate something else, still that's Namabhasha. And one becomes free from all sinful activities. Just imagine how much Krishna is pleased if we say his names with the intent to please him. So any touch with the truth, any contact with the truth, even, even mixed bhakti, even whatever, Still, it's so effective. What to speak of contact with the truth with proper intention. So what a great gift we've been given by Srila Prabhupada, by 
Mahaprabhu. This knowledge, where to find Krishna and how to please him. So are there any questions or comments? How to perceive what is true and what is false? Uh, well, the, the truth is already there. It's a question that you have to remove the covering. And this covering is the desire to be the center. As soon as you, one's desire is to be the center, as soon as one thinks, I want to be the center, because that is not possible, one has to be put into illusion. If you want the illusion removed and you want to see the truth, then you have to have some desire to see that you're not the center. So if I desire something here, I feel that is true, which that is possible, then that is true. If you desire to see the real truth, the actual truth, then Krishna will show it to you. Tesham Satati Yutanam Bajacham Pratipur Vakam Dhami Bhuri Yogantam but Krishna will show you the truth if you want to see the truth. Generally, we don't want to see the truth because the truth means that I'm very small. That's part of the truth. The truth is wonderful and glorious and, and beautiful and ecstatic and eternal. And it also includes the fact that I'm very small. Factually, that I am very small is wonderful. When you think you're very great, it's a big burden. It's just a burden, because we're not very great. If someone says to you, okay, you're in charge of this, and you're responsible to make sure everything happens properly, but can you do that? Are you the controller? Can you control whether or not you get sick today? I mean, are, am I the, are we the controller? So as soon as someone says, oh, you're very important, it's just a burden. It's just anxiety. Now, there may be some external illusion of happiness. Oh, you are so important. You are so important. You are so important. Oh yes, I am so important. But when it comes to actually being important, can you do it? Is it possible to do it? Is it? Is it possible to really be important? Try it. Try to take responsibility for things. And you can't always do it. You, you follow? It's just anxiety. So realizing that I'm very little, I'm, I'm an insignificant speck in, in, in reality, and I'm dependent on Krishna, it's liberating. I don't have to pretend that I can do something that I can't actually do. So that's part of being willing to see the truth. And if you're willing to see that, definitely Krishna will show you. Definitely he'll show you. Because he wants you to see that also. You want to see that, he will show you. We don't see him everywhere because we don't want to see him everywhere. You know, just like a child, they, they go in some place where their parents are not watching. Yes? People like to go someplace where the police are not watching. 
you know, you try to go someplace where the cameras are not watching. People are so concerned about their, you know, privacy. Are the governments watching? Are they, what, are they listening to your phone calls? Are they reading your emails? Let me just go someplace where nobody's watching. So we don't want to see that God is a We don't want to see the truth. And a lot of what happens in Bhakti Yoga in the beginning is just getting the desire to see the truth. That's a lot of what it's about, as Krishna explains in the ninth verse of the twelfth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. He's just getting the desire. Well, I'd really like to see the truth. I'd really like, I'd really like to know what is reality. And he'll, he'll try. He'll show you a little bit and see how you respond. And if you respond positively, then he'll show you more. And if you respond positively, he'll show you more. And if you respond negatively, no, 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 I don't want to see that. Then he'll, okay. Krishna is very responsive. Is that all right? Is that okay? Because you feel so much lower than a deity? Is that your question? No, I mean, the question is like, how, how do we really comprehend and understand? Yes, even, uh, I mean, she has mixed bhakti. Yes. So, kind of a mixed bhakti. And she definitely has mixed bhakti at this point. I mean, yes, the question is, it's mixed bhakti, but maybe it is, it is a lot of arrangement that she, uh, she had to have a mixed bhakti. But whereas actually... Oh, you're blaming Krishna for it? No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying how to comprehend, this is what is coming from mind, how to comprehend that is... is, is comprehend is, what? What are you trying to, to comprehend? How to, how to understand that, whether it's mixed bhakti or... Not. How do you understand whether bhakti is mixed or not? Uh, no, is it, is it mixed bhakti or is it lost arrangement that she is having mixed bhakti? Oh, is she, does, is she actually in mixed bhakti or is Krishna bewildering her? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing from any of the acharyas that Krishna is bewildering her. We don't find that from the acharyas. No, there's nothing. There's nothing in the verses of the Bhagavatam, and there's no comments from the acharyas that this is some sort of yoga maya. So we're assuming then that it's not. We're assuming that it's actually mixed bhakti at this point. It won't stay like that. She'll then take birth as Devaki, and she'll come to pure bhakti. So don't worry. Even Vamandev coming, taking birth as her son, is purified. Just like Dhruva had mixed bhakti and, and Vishnu came and purified him and Gajendra had mixed bhakti and Krishna came and purified him. Don't worry, she'll be taken care of. She won't stay in mixed bhakti. Is that your concern? That's very nice. Some people stay, Daksha stayed in mixed bhakti. Daksha didn't change. Because we have free will. So Daksha was, and, and he was offensive. You know? He wouldn't give up his, his tendency towards Aparad. Because he was the direct son of Lord Brahma. I mean, how much higher can you get in the material world, you know, except to be Brahma himself? I mean, he was 
directly manifested. You know the story, yes? Everybody knows the story? Most of you know the story. And he offends Shiva, thinking Shiva's my son-in-law. Shiva was his son-in-law, but he was thinking, you know, Shiva's my son-in-law, therefore he has to stand up and respect me. And Shiva was in Samadhi, he didn't even see him. And then, you know, he, he really suffered for that. He had to walk around looking like a goat. Just imagine if you offend somebody, if you offend a devotee in the rest of your life, you have to walk around looking like a goat. Everyone who sees you says, aha, there's the upper right. And, so. and he apologized. He did apologize, but it must not have been very deep. Because in his next life, he had something very interesting. He got to be the son of the Purchetas. So he got to be the son, again, of great Vaishnavas. The Purchetas are all Mahabhagavat devotees, Uttama Bhaktas. So he got to be the son of Uttama Bhaktas. But externally, they were Ksatriyas. So he went from being externally a Brahmana to externally a Ksatriya. And he went from being the direct son of Lord Brahma to having to take birth from Marisha's womb. He had to enter the womb and take birth. And Prabhupada explains this was the result of his offending Lordship. And then in that birth, he's, he's still doing mixed bhakti because you know, he wants to do service for the Lord. He wants to do service for the universe. He does, he's not just thinking about himself. And to do that service, he prays to the Lord. He says he's Hamsabuya prayers. So he prays to the Lord for that ability. He's not going to the demigods. He's not doing his own endeavor. And then when he sees the Lord, it, it's explained that he experiences bhava. Just like Aditi, when she saw the Lord also, she experienced ecstasy. So Daksha, when he sees the Lord, he experiences bhava. But unlike Dhruva, and unlike the gender, he doesn't then switch. You know, with, with Dhruva, when Lord Vishnu came... And then, and Lord Vishnu says, "Okay, I'm going to arrange for your step step um, mother and your stepbrother to die, and you'll get a great." Wait a minute, I don't want that anymore. And Dhruva was lamenting, "Why did I have these desires for vengeance, and why did I have these desires for opulence and power? I'm such a fool." But Daksha wasn't like that. When the Lord, when Lord Vishnu saw him and said, "Yes, you can have unlimited sex and produce unlimited children," he's like, "Yes, good. That's what I wanted." That was his mood. Good, I got what I wanted from the Lord. Although he experienced ecstasy. Just experiences of ecstasy in and of themselves are not... You know, we think, if I saw the Lord personally and I experienced ecstasy, then all my problems would be over. It's still our own desire. And the tendency for Aparad was still there. So when he told his sons, okay, now go do tapasya so you can be nice grahastas like me. And then Nardamuni says, you've already made so much advancement through your tapastas, no, you need to become grihastas. You can elevate the universe by being creatures, by being, you know, living as part of Mahamsas. Do that instead. And Dakshaku became very upset. He said, you ruined all my plans. I wanted my children to be sense enjoyers. Devotees, but sense enjoyers. And you've spoiled it. And he cursed Narada. So again, he did this Vaishnava Parada. So it's not that just because the Lord comes, necessarily you'll go from mixed bhakti to pure bhakti. This is, we have free will. It's, there's intention there. But Aditi does, of course, because like in her next life, she's Devaki, and definitely she comes when the Sadgarbas are killed, all of the lust, anger, and greed, illusion are destroyed, and by fear of Kamsa, she comes. You notice, as Devaki, when Krishna appears, what does Devaki say? Does she say, oh good, now you're here, now you can kill Kamsa? Mm-hmm. What does she say? Don't show this bomb 
Yes, hide your form because Kamsa might kill you. But she's changed. And here, she's saying, please come and kill my enemies. Let their wives cry when they're dead. Put my sons back in. Get my sister and co-wife's son out of there. And when Vamandev comes, she still has the same mood. But as, a de- as Devaki, when Krishna comes, she doesn't have that mood anymore. The mood is, I want to take care of you. I want to please you. I want to protect you. I mean, just think about that. You know, you're in Kamsa's prison, and your six children have been murdered in front of your eyes right when they're born. And you're in prison. And, and the Lord comes. Wouldn't you ask him to get you out? I mean, I would, I would say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Finally. Taking me long enough. Now take my chains off and get me out of here and then kill Thompson. Isn't that what we would say? That's what I would say. I'm going to be honest. But that's not what she says. She doesn't say, get me out of prison. She says, oh, we've got to protect you. And then when Krishna tells them, take me across the river. And then Vasudev comes back and puts himself back in chains. And they don't complain and say, what is this? Krishna comes and we're still in chains in the prison? What kind of a god is this? They, they, don't, they don't complain. Where's Kamsa lets them go? But they don't complain. And the Lord never said to them, you'll be released now. They didn't know. When Vasudev comes back and they go back in chains, they had no idea Kamsa would release them at that time. Of course, he imprisoned them again later. So that's pure bhakti. All they're thinking about is how to please Krishna. So she does come to that. Does that answer your question? Did I understand your question? Anything else? Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Hare Krishna. Chennai Bhaktas Ki Jai.